Welcome to the YouTube Creators Hub podcast, where we help you conquer the internet one video at a time. We cover everything from how to start a YouTube channel to how to make a video go viral. And now, here's your host, the one and only Dusty Porter. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the YouTube Creators Hub podcast. My name is Dusty Porter, the host of this wonderful show where here every single Wednesday, I bring you an episode where I interview a wonderful creator about their YouTube journey, talk with them about the ups, the downs, the ins and the outs, what has made them who they are as a creator in hopes of bringing you value to improve and to build upon what you've already have or maybe want to start as a YouTube creator yourself. Before we jump into that, though, I do want to remind you of our two sponsors, the first one being TubeBuddy. They've been with us from almost the start, the inception of the conception of the show. Um, If you haven't already, guys, TubeBuddy is a free browser plugin. Basically, if you want a tool, an overall tool, people ask me all the time, what's the one tool you would recommend over all tools for YouTube? It would be TubeBuddy. It is the tool that helps me that I use every day. I use it hours. It saves me hours of YouTube workflow. So go ahead, click the link in the show notes below and I promise you, once you see what it's all about, you too will be a huge fan of TubeBuddy. The other sponsor this week are the guys over at Audio Hero, audiohero.com. It is basically the Netflix of royalty-free music. If you're looking for a place to get great music that you don't have to worry about copyright claims and things like that, go over to audiohero.com. Use our promo code CREATOR, C-R-E-A-T-O-R, and I promise you guys, for only 10 bucks a month, you're going to have unlimited limited access to their Netflix-like feature set of music, and I promise you, you are going to enjoy that as well. It's so amazing to be partnered with two great organizations, companies, and brands such as TubeBuddy and Audio Hero. You will find all of the valid links in the show notes, as you will every single week. As I said at the top, this is episode number 71. I can't believe we are already 71 episodes into this. Uh, It is one of my favorite parts of the week where I get to sit down on Skype and have a in-depth conversation with a YouTube creator. A lot of times before I hit the record button is when I have a lot of conversation is where I actually get a lot of my knowledge about what's going on, the happenings in the YouTube scene. Because obviously if you're focused on and if you're only looking at your YouTube channel, uh, you can a lot of times put blinders on and you only see what's going on with your channel. But by talking to over 60 creators now uh, on this podcast, a couple of them twice, it has really opened my eyes to a lot of different aspects of YouTube that I never would have even seen, which is why I think this podcast is so valuable to YouTube creators. So this week's episode, I chat with the the, the gentleman behind the Turd Flinging Monkey YouTube channel. Um, And this week we talk about the proper way to cover news and controversial topics on YouTube. Um, We dive deep into the recent adpocalypse. We dive deep into the situation of, of being able to to cover anything in freedom of speech. Uh, I really believe this is a fantastic episode, uh, as are all of my episodes, but I really enjoyed this one. I thought this one was very unique, and I think that you guys are going to see uh, a person who has been a part of YouTube for a long time and who has learned the ropes of doing news-type content and podcasting over on YouTube. So I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. Uh, Don't forget, as always, to go over to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio, wherever you consume your podcasting content, 
slap that subscribe button. That way, every single Wednesday, when I release a new episode, you will be notified. I also do another podcast on Fridays called Tube Buddy Express. It's more of an action-based mono episode where it's just me covering a single topic uh, about YouTube or online video. If you want to check that out, that will be in the links as well. Until next time, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Keep pressing that record button and stay positive. All right, guys, welcome back to this week's conversation. I am excited today to be joined by Turd Flinging Monkey. His YouTube channel contains his thoughts on men's issues, politics, philosophy, economics, finance, culture, and much more. He has podcasts, tons of different videos on his channel, over 10 million video views, and has been a YouTuber since June of 2009. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So I'm extremely excited about uh, chatting with you today about your success and your progression on YouTube. So maybe if you would, I did there briefly in the intro, but could you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got started on YouTube? I got started primarily as a content consumer. I would leave comments on people's videos And I just noticed I wasn't getting a lot of interaction. And I get it because once you have like a lot of subscribers, a lot of comments, you just get buried in the sea. You know, you become a needle in a haystack. And even if you leave a thoughtful comment, it's very unlikely that the person you're writing to is even going to notice or give you more than a thumbs up. So I just had things to say. And I realized, you know, leaving comments on other people's videos wasn't getting me, getting my message out there. So I just decided... Uh, you know, a few years ago, it was like Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I just had the day off from work and I decided I was going to make my first video. And from there, I wasn't expecting much. I was expecting maybe a couple hundred subscribers after six months, but I had 1500 subscribers my first month. So things have just snowballed. And I just kind of, it started out as just strictly a hobby, something like I want to just say things that nobody else was saying and get my message out there. And then I wasn't really thinking about, oh, this has actually become something. But as you know, the years have ticked on and my channel's been growing and I branched out into other things. I'm like, people actually really like my stuff and I really like the interaction with the community. And so here we are. So you've been on YouTube now for a while and you've been doing this thing that that you've been doing on on your channel. And just out of curiosity, and this was something that I thought about when uh, I asked you to be on the show. Can you explain maybe the thought process or like the creation of your name, Turd Flinging Monkey? Uh, I love the branding. I love the little monkey in the, uh, the, the, the profile image there. So what's the story behind that? Like that's a very unique and interesting name. Well, yeah, my... There's a, there's a couple of things that went into it. Primarily, it's a fun name. It's easy to remember. It's memorable. It's silly. So it also it makes me smile because I talk about serious issues on my channel. But then I have this, this silly name. So it's like a, juxta, a juxtaposition of someone talking about serious issues with a ridiculous name. But then there's like a deeper meaning to it. So if you look at, you know, primates and humans are related. Uh, uh, chimpanzees are the closest relative to a human being and primates and uh, humans like who are in prison who are basically deprived of their liberty the only weapon they have is to like throw their their poop so prisoners in prisons will often throw their poop at the guards because it's the only thing they have because you know obviously they're not allowed to have any weapons in a prison and a chimpanzee or any sort of primate in a zoo they didn't even do anything wrong they're just in a zoo 
but they're smart enough that they know they're in a zoo. They're not just like a, a simple animal that has no concept of, you know, that they're actually being confined into the space and they can never leave and they're going to spend their whole life there simply, you know, to be uh, gawked at by people who paid a ticket. So a lot of, that's why a lot of um, higher intelligence primates like chimpanzees will throw their feces at people in the zoo because they know they're prisoners. They know they're trapped in the zoo. And so it's a way for them to protest their confinement. So it's kind of – I speak out about a lot of issues and you know, me making YouTube videos is like me throwing my feasties out into the world trying to protest the issues that I'm, I'm talking about. Nice. I love it. That's pretty That's pretty cool and a really unique way and a really unique look at it. And I have watched a number of your videos, obviously, and uh, – you know, not only uh, are you hitting, you know, hot topics, but you're doing them in a way of you're, you're not holding any bars back. You're you're going at them with your opinion and you're very clear and you're very transparent with people. So before we even get into the initial questions of the interview, I'd, I would just like to ask you personally, how has it been using YouTube as a platform to to, to use your voice for the better good to get your opinion out there and to possibly not just change people's minds, but at least make them aware of what's going on out there. Because a lot of times people get stuck into watching mainstream media and it's, it's this and it's that and, and whatever it may be. So without getting too political on, on this show, talk about YouTube as a platform and what it's allowed you to do as an individual creator who has a voice and an opinion on a lot of very controversial and hot topics. Well, YouTube as a platform is where the audience is. I used to be a blogger for a few years. It was like a libertarian blog. I think after three years, I may I had some subscribers, but they were like maybe a hundred, you know, triple digit subscribers after three years of being a blogger. And I was pretty proud of that. But then, like I said earlier, in my first month on YouTube, I had fifteen hundred subscribers. So, you know, the video audio video content is how you reach people. You know, writing a blog, writing a book, nobody reads anymore. Everybody's on their phone, their tablet, they're watching YouTube videos, they're listening to podcasts, they're not reading, they're not uh, consuming traditional content. This is why, you know, newspapers are down, stuff like that. Just if you want to reach people, you have to create engaging audio visual content. So if you have a message, the problem is trying to take a message which doesn't lend itself altogether to something that's, you know, because YouTube's a lot of cat videos, let's play, stuff like that. If you want to talk about deep, engaging topics, you're probably not going to like be the next PewDiePie, but you can reach a much larger audience on YouTube or some other social media platform than you would ever be able to reach using traditional media like a blog or something like that. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that YouTube gives creators like yourself the ability to, again, like you said, you, you may not be the next big thing on YouTube, but what you will do is you will garner a very engaged and active audience because YouTube, the one thing that YouTube does well and they're continually improving upon is giving creators a platform to create a, a piece of content, put it up there, and then around that piece of content, allow the community to engage around that piece of content through the comment section or 
through social media or whatever it may be. So I think that is just uh, awesome. Now, obviously, I love podcasting, okay? I'm a podcaster. I do this full-time now, and uh, I love this medium. So apparently you do as well. You do live podcasts over on Twitch, and then you export those and put those over on your YouTube channel. So maybe talk a little bit about the benefits of podcasting, and then a follow-up to that would be, what are the benefits of doing it live? Well, the main benefit of podcasting is you cut out a lot of the um, steps involved. Like if I want to create an original video, I have to – I used to script them. I don't really script them anymore. But back in the day, I used to script them. Then I'd have to do the recording. I do the audio editing, the post-production. I'd create the visuals, which at the time were like kind of slideshows or maybe a static image, something simple. And then I'd add the background music. Altogether, we're talking for – a 15, 20 minute video, maybe three, four hours of work with a podcast. You know, as long as you set things up correctly, you can just start the podcast, talk for an hour or two or however long you want the podcast to be. When the podcast is over, it's done. You know, you have several hours of content. It, it didn't take you, you know, three, four hours for 20 minutes of content. You have like several hours of content and they, they took you about the same amount of hours to make. Another thing is, is, you know, I do a Saturday show called the Turd Flinging Monkey Show, and my last show was five hours long. It's like a talk show, um, kind of similar to Tom Likas or Stefan Molyneux. Now, what I can do with that five-hour podcast, because very few people actually watch the five-hour podcast. It only gets maybe a few thousand views over a course of a week. But what I do is I take segments of that podcast, and I make them their own video. So out of a five-hour podcast, I can create probably 10, 15, 20-minute videos and I can release those on my YouTube channel. Each one of those segment videos will get probably between eight and 10,000 views. So, and that's free content. I already made it. All I'm doing is I'm clipping it out of the podcast and spinning it off into its own video. So you see some of these channels that like to um, give commentary on mainstream videos. Like they'll take a video, like these reaction channels and stuff like that, where they're basically stealing content adding a few, a little bit of commentary and claiming fair use and re-uploading it. Well, I'm basically doing that to myself. I'm stealing my own content and uploading it. But because so few people actually watch the full podcast, they actually appreciate the fact that I've released these segment videos. So just to give you a, a taste of what this does for my channel, back in the day when I used to script my videos, I'd only be able to produce about one video a week because it took so long for me to make a video. Uh, then when I started to like really take things seriously, I maybe could produce two, maybe three videos a week. Since I started doing podcasts and started releasing the segments from those podcasts as separate videos, I can produce two videos a day easily because those podcasts only take a few hours. I do them twice a week. And then all I do is I just clip out segments from those videos, release them. I could do two of those a day without breaking a sweat. And it only takes me maybe 30 minutes to find the segment I want, do some minor editing and audio adjusting, and then release it at its own video. In fact, making the thumbnail is the longest step in that process. And it's effectively free content because I already made it. Yeah, and what I like to call that is repurposing content, right? Right. Like what you're doing is you're taking your audio content and you're making it in bite-sized you know, chunks for your video audience. And I love that. I love repurposing content and putting it on different platforms because uh, people don't understand as creators that different types of people are going to consume content differently. Whereas there may be someone who loves to go to the gym and they may listen to your audio podcast for a full 45 minutes to an hour, but there may be another person who just consumes you know, bite-sized pieces of content uh, through YouTube. 
YouTube. Um, and that's just how people are consuming content. Now, just like you said earlier in the show, you know, people are walking around with basically computers in their pockets with their iOS devices, with their Android devices, all of their tablets, whatever it may be. You know, technology is improving and is improving extremely fast. And we have to evolve as creators and being able to repurpose your content via podcasting and, and, and putting it up in smaller sizes or segments on YouTube is such a great idea. Let me ask you this, though. We've talked about the the creative side of it a lot. We've talked about the you know your start uh, into the YouTube world, but let's talk about this as a business now. Um, are you able to even with the controversial and hot topics that you cover on your channel? Are you able to monetize your content? And how have you found ways to make this uh, semi business for yourself? Yeah, you um, you're you're gonna lose videos to demonetization. Also. Uh, recently started, you know, a few months ago when PewDiePie was labeled a, a Nazi and then a bunch of advertisers pulled out the adpocalypse as it's called. YouTube has added this new feature called restricted mode. So it creates a third tier for advertising. So even if your video isn't demonetized, if it has certain keywords which are considered sensitive, advertisers can opt to have their advertisements not appear on those videos. So even though your video isn't demonetized, no ads will actually play on them because the advertisers for that time period just aren't are, – they're opting out of having their videos play on potentially offensive videos. Even though they're not – they haven't crossed the line to be demonetized, they're just considered offensive enough that advertisers are a little gun shy about advertising on your video. And what that means is even though your videos are all monetized or the majority of them are monetized, there's no ads playing. So you're not making any money. So – there's there's really not a lot you can do. A lot of people have tried to become more family friendly, especially the full time YouTubers who rely on this to pay their bills. There are certain things you can do to avoid tripping the bots. Like if you want to talk about, let's say, you know, a college, um, the college rape epidemic or lack thereof, you can't use the word rape in your in your video or your video will be demonetized. So what you can do is I've replaced the word rape with the word struggle snuggle. So whenever I talk about Anything involving rape, I'll just use the word struggle snuggle instead. So we'll talk about struggle snuggle accusations and struggle snuggle rates. So it's something that gets around the filter because we're talking about it, but we're using euphemisms. So you can do things like that. It's not a perfect system. I haven't I haven't had any community strikes. Nobody's flagged my videos. I think the important thing there, uh, you want to attack ideals and not people. Because if you're doing – because response videos are very popular where you, you do a takedown video on some other YouTuber. The problem is if you attack them personally, they can claim harassment, which is against YouTube's community guidelines. So what you want to do is you want to focus on their ideas and not them. Because if you're just attacking their ideas and you're disproving their ideas, you're not harassing them. You're just disproving their ideas. But if you attack them, you call them stupid, tell them to kill themselves, something like that, you're definitely going to get a flag on your channel. You're definitely going to have that video taken down for harassment. And then not only do you lose money, but you can't upload thumbnails. You can't live stream. It's going to affect your ability to just run your channel in general for like six months. So don't do, don't do anything don't commit any unforced errors and cost yourself uh, or your channel anything. Absolutely. And a lot of people have an issue with the way that this whole thing has been handled with the adpocalypse um, and YouTube demonetizing videos. I believe personally that it is important for YouTube to have rules and regulations as far as 
as a creator, I want advertisers to feel safe when they come to YouTube as a platform. And for someone like yourself who is creating these pieces of content uh, that may be controversial, people may see as hot topics in, in the realm of news and whatnot, what would you think as far as like, what would you consider to be a perfect system? As far as like, if there was one thing that YouTube could do to create a perfect system for the, you know, for, for monetizing content that, um, you know, that is controversial, but uh, allows advertisers to feel safe on the platform. How would you, uh, coming from a creator who does content like you do, how would you structure it? What would you do? I would, okay. So there are obviously advertisers who don't care. They want to put their product in front of as many eyes as possible. And they've actually – during the adpocalypse, there was a channel. I can't remember the name of it. His channel was completely demonetized. But there were advertisers who wanted to advertise specifically with his channel and YouTube wouldn't take their money because according to their guidelines, he was not eligible for money. He wasn't advertiser friendly even though there actually were advertisers who wanted to give Google their money. Google was saying no. So clearly there's a mismatch of priorities. So what we need to do is I call this – I've had this idea. You know how you have multi-channel networks? Multi-channel networks are bad because you're giving away ownership of your channel to some third party. What we should have is we should have multi-channel cooperatives where channels that have similar content can pull together into some groups or categories. Advertisers can just basically go to YouTube or whatever and say, I want to advertise within this group. So if you're a controversial group, like you talk about something offensive that 99% of advertisers want nothing to do with, that 1% of advertisers that don't care, they just want their ad in front of everyone, can basically whitelist that group or they could do business directly with you and say, we're going to advertise within this group. Now, that, of course, would open them up because the problem is when you advertise on a controversial channel, you run the risk of some kind of consumer backlash. Like, oh, your support – like, uh, remember like the whole PewDiePie JonTron thing. Like, oh, you're supporting white nationalism and Nazis because you're advertising on these videos. You know, And obviously companies, they want to avoid controversy. So they just want the problem to go away. So they'll just pull their advertising because that's the quickest, uh, most efficient solution to making the problem go away. Yeah, I, and 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 you know, not to interrupt you there, but I I I do think that, and again, that's why I love doing these podcasts is to have conversations, and and one of the reasons why it was good to have you on the show is because you can talk from coming from that side of it, and I really love your insight on things. It's not, you know, as creators, we always, you know, we don't have to agree on everything, and it's it's good to bring up these points of, you know, I think you're right. I think giving advertisers. And I'm not sure how the back end looks for advertisers. Maybe you have more insight on that, but I'm not sure if how much control they have. And I think that probably was the issue, right? Was that they they were not given the control of, hey, look, this these are the types of videos that that we're going to put your ads on top of. I think that it was more just random th- that YouTube would sell the ad spot and then run the ad on top of any video. So I think maybe, and again, I may be speaking out of out of line here, but I really believe that honestly if youtube gave the advertisers more of a platform more tools when they purchased the ad spots i really think they could have avoided a lot of this whole adpocalypse issue yeah before the adpocalypse they basically had two categories they had uh videos and channels that were known violators of their terms of service and were demonetized or considered adult only and then they had everyone else So the problem was there were some genuinely offensive content. We're talking like ISIS recruitment videos and neo-Nazi propaganda. Which, by the the way, we both should clearly state that we are completely against any of that. Like that should never be on the platform. Absolutely. Right, yeah. I mean you're – 
when you're inciting crimes, that's not, you know, inciting crimes is not free speech. Um, so, but the other, the other issue is there are things that just offend people. Now, offending people is not a crime. It, it is free speech, but it also can make advertisers gun shy. So YouTube, since the adpocalypse, has added this third category where it's, it's considered sensitive materials. So it's not demonetized, but ads may not play on them if advertisers are, are feeling gun shy about advertising on that platform. But I've noticed that because, you know, the mainstream media, it has a very short attention span. Something will be hot in the news for like a month and then it just goes away, just goes down the memory hole. So for especially April, my revenue got cut like 70 percent. It was it was bad. And but I've noticed it's starting to climb back up. It's not all the way back to where it was, but it's starting to climb back up. So I think advertisers are starting to come back now that, you know, the media has moved on to the next, you know, great big issue that they want to talk about. So that's good. Uh, but I think the solution is give give advertisers the opportunity to basically opt in to sensitive, controversial things, like even things that are considered offensive. Obviously, somebody doesn't care. I mean, you look at the the big thing is, oh, you're a mis misogyny or racist and stuff like that. There clearly are people who advertise on these. I mean, even the Daily Stormer has advertisers. So there are companies who will do business with controversial people and just simply don't care. They're just trying to get their product in front of as many eyes as possible. Let them give Google their money. Don't tell a channel or video, this is not advertiser friendly. Just say, look, this is controversial. We're going to categorize it as this. And chances are the majority of advertisers are going to pass on this category of video. But there probably are enough advertisers that will say, we don't care. We don't mind advertising. So let them. I love that. And, and it's such an interesting conversation. And again, it's one of those things as creators that we, we can't be afraid to talk about things like this because it, 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 we have to have a voice, right? Like if you have an opinion, we have to have a voice about these things. And I think it's important that, uh, as I said earlier, as we segue away from this topic, advertisers need to feel comfortable and creators need to feel comfortable and like they have the ability to create any type of content they want that is legal and isn't something that's just awful like what we were talking about with some of those people putting out just horrendous pieces of content. So again, I want to end that there. I think that was a really good discussion and I'm so glad that I got your insight on that because again, you're creating content that some people may deem as controversial, as hot topics. You've been doing this for a while now and you figured out a way to do it. And again, like you said, you're income decreased almost 70% and it is climbing. Mine decreased very slightly. I don't, I do tutorial based content, so it really didn't affect me that much, but I have seen my, my income uh, as far as AdSense revenue goes, uh, going back up. And as I always tell people and creators, you cannot count just on AdSense to pay your bills. If that's what you're doing, you're doing this wrong. And I know you, uh, in particular, you have Patreon, you have merch, uh, and there's other great ways to monetize your content as well. Let me ask you this. What is something that you wish someone would have told you when you first started out creating content on YouTube? I mean, some advice I would give. This is something like I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who just jump into something. I usually think things out. So I didn't make too many rookie mistakes. I actually underballed how I was going to do. I didn't think I'd do as good as I did. So some, but some of the mistakes I see other content creators make that my advice to them is focus on quality rather than quantity, especially early on. Um, I see a lot of channels trying to they do a bunch of Google Hangouts 
and that's their channel. They have just a Google Hangout every night, and it's like an hour, two hours, and they have like 10 subscribers. Stop it. You need to create a good video that people actually want to watch. Make the content that you want. Don't copy someone. A lot of people, like, they see what's popular, and they try to copy that format. But YouTube is a free platform. So nobody wants the Diet Coke version of their favorite YouTuber when they can already get the, the genuine article for free. So in order to make – in order to stand out, you need to offer something unique. So make the kind of content that you want. Make the kind of videos that you would watch yourself if you were bored. If you wouldn't even watch your own content, chances are nobody else is going to either. And don't worry about growth. I mean I didn't make my first dollar on YouTube for like a year. Like my first year on YouTube, I made nothing. Like you'd see – you know, I'd get like – a dollar here, five dollars here. You know, the months ticked on. I just kept creating videos as a hobby. I wasn't thinking about I'm going to be a professional YouTuber. I was just making videos because I wanted to talk, I wanted to interact, and then I had a message to share. Focus on that. Focus on the message and do something you're passionate about. Don't be like I'm going to be the next PewDiePie and I'm going to make you know these fun videos because there's so many people they, and they make good videos. They put a lot of hard work into their videos, but there's just the market's so oversaturated. So you have to bring something unique to the table. And also if you're part of a community that you can actually get some hype. So what I did when I first started my channel, I sent links to my first video to some smaller channels that I was subscribed to. And these channels only had like a few thousand subs. They weren't like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of subs. These are just small channels that were established but were still small. And a couple of them gave me like shout outs the next day. Like, oh, I checked out this video. It's really good. Check them out. So, and that helped me get like hundreds of subs very quickly. So, if you're part of a community, start a channel, focus on quality, and then reach out to smaller content creators that are more likely to answer your email. Not because the bigger ones hate you or think they're better than you, but you're just more likely to be drowned in the sea of their inbox. So, reach out to the smaller content creators that only have maybe a few thousand subs because they're more likely to respond to you. And then see if they'll give you a shout out, see if they'll help you out or collaborate with you. That'll help get your channel rolling. And then as you get bigger, make sure to pay that forward and help other smaller creators trying to come up along the way too. That's great. I love that advice. I think that that is awesome. I think a lot of people do get ahead of themselves. I think they look at the dollar sign way before they look at the actual creative process and even before they have a, a target audience, which is a, a really big mistake. Uh, let me ask you this, the, the closing question of this interview. What do you think it is that makes you stand out as a creator? I don't give a crap. That's really my, that's been my life philosophy for years. I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And I never cared about whether my channel was going to blow up or not. Uh, in fact, I've shed subscribers because I, you know, I talk, I'd say what I believe. I never care if what I'm going to say is going to be too controversial. It's going to overstep a line or it might alienate someone. I say what I believe. And I've lost some subscribers for that. But I think people who follow my content, they appreciate the fact that they know that they're they're going to get the real deal. And I see a lot of people who self – they self-censor because they are a bigger, more established channel. Maybe they even do YouTube full-time. And they almost handcuff themselves because they're so worried about losing their subscribers or losing their viewers that they end up taking the edge off themselves. And a lot of times it was that edge which is what grew their channel in the first place. So they almost feel like – I don't want to say sellout. That's a strong word. But they, they self-censor themselves because they're too afraid to offend their own audience. And I just – I pride myself, I guess, on never having that attitude. 
So I'm just, I always like to keep it real. And if you don't like it, you know where the unsubscribe button is. It is extremely crucial to be transparent and not just creating uh, news content, but just any type of content on YouTube. Uh, I found that audiences and communities really build engaging communities around creators who have the ability to be transparent and to be real with their community. What a great episode this week uh, with the turd flinging monkey. I will have all of his links in the show notes. And speaking of links, before we sign out, I always like to give the creators the opportunity to plug their stuff they got going on right now. So if you would let our audience know where they can get in touch with you on the interwebs. Okay. I mean, uh, YouTube on the, just type in turd flinging monkey in the search. Also on Twitch, my Twitch channel is TF Monkey, one word. I have a talk show Saturdays, 7 p.m. Pacific. I have a news talk show, 8 a.m. Wednesdays. So Twitch and YouTube are the primary ones. I'm also on Twitter at uh, TF Monkey YouTube. All right, awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on this week's episode of the YouTube Creators Hub podcast, and we'll talk to you later. All right, take care, man. You've been listening to the YouTube Creators Podcast. We want to thank you and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as support us on Patreon for great perks such as having your YouTube channel featured on the show and a link on our website. Until next time, keep uploading those videos.